pre-dropped here, no doubt. Yeah, pre-dropped. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. It made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. Hello, folks. Good evening. It's Sunday night, uh, and Dylan is not here. This is Sean Zock. This is the drop zone, and we love Dylan, but Dylan is, I believe, in Ireland right now. Um, or on his way to Ireland, I can't tell. But in his place, we have James Colgan, uh, who might be just as good or even better than Dylan. But James, I would like to open up by uh, inviting you in here with a quote from Rose Zhang, and that is, what is happening? What is happening? I mean, that, it's a fair question. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm wondering the same thing. I got called into podcast duty at the last second here. So I'm bringing my own, uh, my own Rose Zhang level uh, introduction to the drop zone. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a truly, truly epic Sunday in pro golf. I mean, it was an epic ending to the Memorial. We watched the end of that tournament. I'm sure we'll have plenty more to speak about there. And then, you know, you switch your TV right over to Golf Channel, where the first Mizuho America's Open is coming to a close. And what do we find? But maybe the most compelling story of the year in women's golf right now, which is Rose uh, rising on Sunday to get her first win in her first ever professional start. I mean, it was just an epic, epic afternoon in golf. This is it's it's kind of interesting in the wake of live golf and now we have like more tours to pay attention to right like we have a lot of um, competition with the PJ tour for viewership and I have never once in the pretty much not since the actual first week of live golf I've never really felt like there were like multiple tournaments that I needed to watch on Sunday and Saturday at the same exact time that I actually had to do channel changing. Um, it just doesn't happen that much on the pro golf calendar for a reason, right? You want all of the audience to yourself. This was like the first time where I was like, holy crap, massive tournament on the, on the PGA tour, but also it's still not the biggest tournament of the week. The biggest tournament of the week is on the LPGA tour and it's not a women's major. And I can't remember the last time. Well, that Sean, was let me tell you, uh, my cable connection in my, in my rinky dink apartment here in Manhattan is not particularly strong and, uh, operating the channel changer is not a strong suit of mine. Uh, so I was struggling all afternoon long. I'll admit I was a little relieved when the memorial ended just because I knew I could stick to one uh, venue for the rest of my afternoon. But yeah, no, you're, you're, you're totally right. It was, uh, it was kind of cool to see, to see the buzz around this tournament. I think, you know, if you are uh, Mizuho or the LPGA or Michelle Wee West, uh, <laughs> this is the dream scenario for your first ever tournament. You mm -hmm. stage this big tournament right in the shadow of Manhattan. You, uh, hope to bring fans out. You hope that people are going to be interested. You hope you'll get a compelling story. And you wind up with this incredible, incredible final round goes all the way down to a playoff. Playoff goes a couple holes long. It, I mean, it was truly a storybook ending to that tournament. And I, and I completely agree with what you're saying. This is the first time in a long time uh, that golf has been a two channel sport. It feels like uh, it was it was really, yeah. really uh it was it was intense watching for the whole afternoon and it felt like every time you switch the channel to go you know to go watch the memorial for a few minutes something happened back on golf channel in the Mizuho and vice versa so yeah it was uh it was awesome i think this is why uh the nfl has had so much success with the red zone channel because this level of uh mm. access and intrigue all at one time happening simultaneously uh it's pretty sick <laughs> i like it i'm, I'm a big fan <laughs> you're in on it so basically to catch anyone up who is listening and didn't uh ha sit next to the television all day long uh rose zhang wins now she won the NCAA tournament a week ago. Uh, <laughs> it happens to turn pro a week later. Uh, does the big profile with the athletic, right? Brendan Quinn wrote a great profile on her. Um, does the big like media introductory press conference. She does media every single day this week. Plays the entire final round with the lead. Kind of takes on some contenders because she didn't play perfectly today. She did not make a birdie all day long. But like she accepts 
the contention and doesn't crumble. Uh, and then she wins her first event as a pro. The last person to do this on uh, the LPGA Tour, it happened in 1951. So 72 years <laughs> ago, this took place. Uh, this just doesn't happen. And there are so, so many connections, um, similarities between Rose Zhang and I kind of hate to say it, but Tiger Woods, um, which is freaky because we, as golf media people, we always make comparisons to Tiger Woods, but it's almost always just a massive compliment to him because it's like, oh, what Scotty Scheffler has done for the last two months is Tiger-esque. It's always <laughs> Tiger-esque. Oh, like this is close to what Tiger was. And, you know, Tiger did it over a multiple decade period. But for Rose, like she won as many times at Stanford as Tiger did. I believe she did it in one year less than Tiger. She was the first, uh, I believe the first golfer, in, uh, maybe since Phil Mickelson, college golfer to win back-to-back -back NCAA titles, uh, individual titles. Um, she has Mark Steinberg as the agent. Again, she went to Stanford and followed in Tiger's footsteps there. And it just felt like her arrival is so similar to Tiger's arrival back in uh, 1996 when he was a rookie, wins within his first couple of starts, and it just felt like the rest of the golf world is a little bit freaked out at how natural it felt. Um, I guess my question that I wrote down on the notes is like, what the hell do we make of well, it? Tiger didn't even do this. <laughs> he didn't even do this. I mean, yeah. <laughs> this is this is a ridiculous, ridiculous start to a career. I think coming into this week, uh, I was firmly planted in the skeptic category solely because I think it's a disservice to anyone to compare them to Tiger Woods. I don't think it's a particularly smart thing, although it is a definite prisoner of the moment uh, thing. But I mean, you look at her resume, she has won every single thing that a player of her caliber could win to this point in her career. She she's won the Anwa, she's won the US Amateur, she's won uh, you know, every step every step along the way in in the collegiate game and now she's got to win in her first ever start on the LPGA. I mean, it it is legitimately insane to see this level of of dominance across the board in everything that she does. And I would I was actually out at Liberty National for a couple of days early in the week and the biggest thing that struck me about interacting with her is how normal it all seems. You know, something Something that we saw all the time with Tiger was, you know, this this sort of preternatural ability to block everything out and and zone in and have that killer instinct. I think the thing that strikes me so much about Rose from having interacted with her is how natural it seems to come to her. She's not forcing this. This is what her personality is. This is how she mm -hmm. is. And it's not like the spectacle is too big for her. It's not like she sees this as any sort of huge thing. This is just another day in her life. And her life just happens to be as a professional golfer <laughs> winning huge events all the time. I mean, it, it's an incredible thing to watch. It really sort of defies belief. But uh, I think after this week, I found myself uh, a lot more willing to listen to that comparison, at least than I was uh, seven days ago. She's only played... I believe 20 NCAA like events and she won 12 <laughs> of them. Like 20 is just, a, it's a really small number. And so like people in our position, we look for sample sizes to, to explain everything. And 20 is just not a big enough sample size. So I honestly think I was a bit of a skeptic too. Like you were saying the 12, the sample size of 12 wins should, should kind of dampen that a little bit, but it's not like she contended contended in a big event she's made the cuts in major championships which is kind of something that we see you know big name amateurs do but until you know there's there's a reason why that curtis strange quote um towards tiger woods is so viral and it's not just because uh, of what tiger did afterward but it's that epic like interview basically where curtis strange tells tiger look you'll learn you'll learn what it's like to be out here as a pro and that type of doubt exists in all of pro sports. Like until you do it, we don't have to trust that you're going to do it. We don't have to believe that you're going to do it. Um, and she could have very easily just like made the cut, finished T40 this week. And we've been like, Hey, fantastic start to your career, Rose. You've done it as a pro, you've made a pro cut, 
But no, she literally ups the ante and holds the 54-hole lead, wins um, after 74 holes. And I, it was almost like so perfect in my mind that it got to a playoff because in the playoff, she finds herself against Jennifer Cupcho, who I guess somewhat chased her down on Sunday. And Cupcho is a major champion. Uh, she is... She's a Solheim cupper. She is going to be, she's, she could very well become a LPGA hall of famer. So like that is just another layer on top of all this It's like, Oh, Hey Rose, you get to go up against a major champion in the playoff. And the result of that is they both made, uh, I think what bogeys on the first, first playoff hole. And then Rose finds herself like she must've been 50, yards back of Cupcho in the fairway in the second playoff hole pulls out lumber she she is not hitting an iron and it must have been a seven wood five wood some sort of uh non-iron club and she hits it to like eight feet just like this towering thing that I bet looked amazing in person and it was just that's the kind of shot and the kind of moment that must freak the living shit out (laughs) of the players on on the pro level the LPGA tour like like it's a lot more – there are a lot more hugs passed out in the LPGA game. They're a lot more supportive of each other and, and in these moments. Um, but that should freak them out. Like, we weren't worried about this girl a couple <laughs> weeks ago when she was at Stanford beating up on the Pac-12s. Like, we, we weren't really thinking about her, and suddenly, holy crap, no, she's here, and she's coming for our throats, and she's doing it to major champions in playoffs. Like, it should be almost uh, – like grabbing the LPGA tour by its shoulders and said, I'm freaking here. <laughs> what are you going to do about in me? Half an hour there. She played the 18th hole three times, right? She hit three approach shots into that green. The first time it was a five iron out of the bunker on the left. The second time it was an eight iron out of a bunker on the right. Both of those shots landed short. And both times I thought, man, that is a hell of an approach shot given where she was and where, you know, where yeah. she wound up off the team, all of that. Then she comes out the third time playing this hole. She stripes a drive down the center of the fairway. And then she hits this freaking three wood or five wood or something to eight feet or, or whatever it was. I mean, it was it was incredible. <laughs> it's like every time she played, she was just raising the ante just a little bit more from the last time. It was so, so impressive. I think, you know, I, I again, prisoner of the moment. But as soon as all of this happened, I, I immediately had that old Tiger Woods ad in my head, the hello world uh i i it was just i I couldn't get it out of my head just watching in this moment it really felt like we were seeing a revelatory moment in women's golf it felt like we were seeing the pronouncement that rose is here and she's gonna be here for a long time she's 20 years old she can't even go out to drink tonight after she won this event um (laughs) But she's going to be around forever, and that that should be a very very scary yeah. proposition to to everyone else in the field. Totally. The uh, the ramifications, I guess. She be, she immediately becomes an LPGA Tour member, um, which is funny because we began this week, like I said, with that long profile uh, in the Athletic about Rose and who she is, where she came from, where her parents are from, uh, and we learned. Like she is going to be finishing her degree at Stanford. <laughs> like she's going to maintain, she's going to go to classes next year while also competing on the LPGA tour. She's going to be commuting back and forth from uh, Palo Alto to wherever the hell the PGA tour is that week. And we already know that's an insane LPGA tour schedule. So like, that's who she is. She just happens to be like wickedly brilliant as a golfer on top of all the other things she wants to do in her life. But uh, she's going to be on this Solheim cup team in this fall. Like that's the ascent. That's how quick the ascent I guess can be. And which will be extremely tricky for her. Like she will not clear every barrier in front of her. Tiger Woods didn't clear every yeah. single barrier in front of him. Um, he had a, an oddly, like a little bit of a lull in the majors after his, uh, initial masters win. But, um, I basically say that to, to, to bring up, all the things that pro golfers do, like inclusive of the Solheim Cup, she's like she's like made this massive jump doing all those things, um, and it. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I, I she is just such a delight to watch. Her smile is 
is it fills up the room uh, like her, her like I said in that quote right when we started like that was her first reaction what is happening what is happening to me it's such a it's such a true delight to kind of piggyback on um, whatever she does and just to kind of I don't know. It feels like you're a part. You talked to her this week. Um, Alan Bassable, our boss, talked to her this week. Claire Rogers did a great uh, interview with her um, on golf.com. And so she is, she's fantastic to be around at this moment. And that's just the vibe that she gives off. I am excited to see how long that that can last. I hope it lasts. It was kind of awesome watching at the end of the, of the event. I mean, I was on the edge of my seat. I was, <laughs> I was chewing my fingernails doing every, you know, every nervous tick I have was in full effect watching as Rose was kind of trying to close things out. And as I was watching her play, it just kind of occurred to me, she was less nervous than I was for that, for this moment. <laughs> she was less nervous. She had, she had nothing to worry about in this moment of, of going out and and trying to compete to win her first ever event in her first ever start. I feel like that speaks so much to what her, to what her makeup is and what, and what her mindset is. Uh, yeah, it's very exciting. And I think if you're the LPGA right now to get a true, like American born, like superstar talent, to come through the ranks who is so willing to be uh mm. available in in press settings who's so willing to to deal with sponsors and all of the stuff that comes with that i mean this is a dream scenario for women's golf is to get a player and a star not only of this of this talent makeup but also of this personal makeup who can handle all of these things so unflappably i mean yeah it is uh mm-hmm. it is so impressive i think the the first thing in my mind was uh we've got three weeks here until the uh kpmg women's pga at baltus raw which is just up the block and i know we're gonna see rose there and i'm very excited to see mm-hmm. what comes out of that because i mean already after seeing her play the way that she played this week especially with what looked like ostensibly not her best game that's the thing that that you know nobody's really talking about right now is she didn't really play all that well today for her own ability i mean yeah to to think of what she could be at uh by the time this season's done by the time this year is done it's an incredibly exciting thing not only for her not only for the lpga but for all of golf yeah it's certainly an injection in the lpga uh at a time when nelly corda is battling uh, issues with the back injury. Her sister, Jess Corda, battling uh, a really, honestly, it sounds like a worse yeah. back injury. Uh, it's it's a tricky thing marketing the LPGA Tour. Uh, I am not going to act like it. it is a, a cut and dry, easy job. It just can't be um, because some of the best players don't speak English, don't speak English very well. And that's not to say that they have to, but that it's all part of the promotional and marketing aspects of making your tour a bigger thing. Um, and so, yeah, she, she is the embodiment of an injection that the LPGA tour is going to use a lot of. You would think that it gets a lot easier to market your stars when you have someone leading the, leading the pack who has her makeup and her ability. Right. I mean, you put her next to Nelly and I, yeah. I feel like if you're sitting in the, in the C-suite at the LPGA right now, you're looking at the two of them and saying, all right, we're set for the next 15 years. Like. Let's just let these two cook yeah. and, you know, make sure that the photos come out yeah. in focus and, uh, you know, everyone's, everyone's, you know, <laughs> microphones are turned on and whatnot, because I think that's really all it's going to take. Yeah, I hope so. I, it's just, like I said, it's just a tricky thing because, um, there are what, what PJ, what the PJ tour wants is as many potential stars as possible, right? They want to create more stars, more people that you will go to tournaments to watch. Sath Thigala is a good example of a player who has not won yet. Cam Young, who has not won yet, but has enough, uh, I guess, panache, like enough people going there excited to watch Sath and Cam Young hit the hell out of the golf ball. The LPJ Tour, it's a little bit trickier, man. Like the, the, the makeup of the tour is, uh, it's harder to get people to go and 
file in and Rose is going to be one of those people, man. There is a reason there are a lot of people there ringing around the 18th green waiting for her to finish and waiting for this playoff to finish. They were not leaving despite the sun going down at Liberty National. So anyways, yeah. that's why I uh, I wrote down here. This is one of the first times I'm actually super excited to see the ratings of an LPGA broadcast. <laughs> now, you are the guy at golf.com to talk ratings with. Um, like, do you think that the ratings will will tell us a story? Like, could, is it possible we'll look way too much into that? I think it's hard to say just solely because this event was on Golf Channel, which is a cable network, as opposed to being on yeah. NBC, which is a nationally televised network. It's harder to say, you know, what we'll get viewership wise usually uh i mean it's anywhere between anywhere between like 100 and 500,000 viewers is is fairly commonplace for a sunday golf coverage on golf channel be that pga tour or lpga tour um so it's it's hard to say with any clarity what the expectation should be just because you know i don't know how many golf fans knew about this event at the yeah. the week it was the first year of this event existing in the first place um so it's difficult to say like a hundred percent that we'll see some sort of crazy bump in viewership or anything like that but when you talk about the things that make a difference when it comes time to put an LPGA event on national television, it is having players like this. I mean, this mm. is what we talk about as we're having this conversation about marketable players. The people that you look to are the same people that the broadcast partners are looking to, the same people yeah. the corporate sponsors are looking to. And all of those people want to get excited about someone. And Rose is certainly a person to be excited about. So it's late to change any of that now. Obviously, this event was on Golf Channel all weekend, so we'll we'll see where the ratings come in. I mean, if the ratings are massive, it wouldn't totally shock me because it was a really fascinating story, and it did feel like a lot of the golf world was tuned in. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not going to hang my hat on seeing any sort of crazy numbers solely because uh, you know it's hard. These things kind of take time to to register with audiences, and especially when you think about you know, our little corner of the internet and the universe of, of really, really caring about this stuff. We might not be a totally reflective sample of the people watching golf in Kansas. So <laughs> that's the important <laughs> thing to kind of keep in mind when it comes to this. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think the expectation should be that as time goes on here, I think we will see a bump in ratings as a result. If I mean, if she continues on this path, abs that yeah. absolutely will be the case. Yeah. Uh, well, if anything was going to kill the ratings on Sunday, it would have been the pace of play, which was pretty <laughs> brutal. Um, I'm going to give. Yeah, it was. I believe someone clocked it at five hours and 45 minutes for the final group, which is a threesome of two pros and one amateur because this was a a mixed uh, field event in a way, in a, in a weird way, in a new way. It was in a really cool way. Um, you had some of the best amateurs, some of the best juniors in the world playing within the group, the same groups as the pros alongside the pros, often from different tee boxes, some of the same tee boxes. And, um, I thought that this was, this thing came across, came off in the exact way that Michelle Wee West wanted it to. Um, I think that they will hopefully fine tune some things to make sure that the final <laughs> round, I mean, there's a reason why they will take um, amateurs away from the the pro am section on Sunday at like Pebble Beach and at the Amex and some of these events that are mixed fields because it was really tough. I was texting you like trying to get an idea of when we're going to start recording this thing. And Rose was on the 12th hole as you know, Victor or and uh, Denny McCarthy were coming up 18 in regulation. And I was like thrilled that that the memorial went to a playoff because I was like, okay, sweet. That'll get us closer to the end of the Mizuho event. And it just felt like the last six holes of the Mizuho event took like three hours. Yeah. Oh. I think there's an easy, a very easy solution here. And it's to separate the junior golfers from the LPGA players. The next time that we go through here, send the juniors out and in the beginning of the day, just like you said, like they do at the at Pebble beach every year. Uh, and, and just, try like hell to keep things moving <laughs> come the afternoon. I mean, on that first time down the 18th green as Rose was part of, you know, that final group being kind of coming up the fairway, she hit her drive into the left bunker 
And I think she was legitimately standing over her ball in the bunker for 10 full minutes while the group in front of her putted out. I mean, that is ridiculous. And not not only because of how long it took to play, but that's also kind of unfair to her. She's 20 years old trying to close out her first LPGA event. And she's she's being you know forced to stare down the most terrifying shot of her career for longer than, you know, I spend doing most things in, in a day to day basis in my life. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that 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 should be hopefully a little bit of a wake up call, I think. You know, every time you you start an event like this, you're gonna have things that you want to fix as as you go forward, things that you want to improve going into years two, three, four, and five, and you know further on. And I think that will absolutely be one of them because that pace was brutal. Yeah, it really was. Um, any other thoughts on Rose uh, from the week, or are we ready to move on to the the memorial? I'm ready to move on. <clears throat> All right. Well, Victor Hovland wins in a playoff at jack's place muirfield village uh over denny mccarthy um and i almost am un surprised unimpressed uh in a way not unimpressed it's impressive um but it just felt like the natural progression of what hovland's been doing this year he had uh, a great finish at augusta he had a great finish at oak hill he had a great finish last week at colonial and memorial now those are all golf courses that have played like really hard and i guess that is what most impresses me about hovland is that it felt like all of his wins to this point the joke is always that they came at resort courses that they came like outside of america (laughs) and it was it was always kind of this weird wonder like gosh does he have like dexterity to his game and we always knew that he actually was horrible uh his short game was bad his putting is not not elite and i think some of those issues uh they remain to a lesser extent than they did maybe a year or two ago but this is like his defining moment of he was moving towards this thing all year and so that's why i'm very unsurprised by it and trying to remind myself that this was a massive victory for him um, so before we launch into this conversation and, and I, I, cause I, I do want to talk about this, but first and foremost, I've been thinking about this all weekend. Jack's place. Is that capital J capital P? Is it capital J lowercase <laughs> P? Uh, it feels like it's used so ubiquitously. I, I was truly wondering it's, this all yeah. weekend long. I was including Jack's place and stories that I was writing. If you're listening to this, you can go in, and read some of them. I was horribly inconsistent with my usage of this. Uh, it's of, capital of this. letters each capital J capital P. All right. Rubber Jackie, stamping Jackie's that. Place. We're locking that in. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, uh, Victor, Victor was, I mean, was very impressive, but I, I fully agree. He actually, a week ago, uh, Monday, I picked Victor on our weekly, uh, preview video to win this event for the exact reason that you just lined up. I think he has proven that he's been, the momentum has been pushing him in this direction. He's proven that his game is capable of rising to the occasion. And I think especially he's proven he's a really good player at really tough golf courses, um, which is kind of interesting because when you look at some of the weaknesses of his game, what you just talked about, his short game and his putting, those things would tend to lead lead to, you know, maybe playing a little bit poorly when you, when you get into a situation where the rough is really thick or the fairways are narrow. Uh, but he is just such a pure ball striker it doesn't seem like it matters when he plays in these tough settings so yeah it was uh it was very impressive to watch but um i was not surprised because it, it just it feels like he is in that caliber of player that top 10 top 15 caliber of player who can win at any event who can win at a major mm-hmm. i mean i would not have been surprised to see him win on sunday over brooks at the pga i would not have been surprised to see him win on sunday over brooks at the masters either and a lot of people forget he was in either the last pairing or one of the last pairings at the at the open last year at st andrews so mm-hmm. he has been lurking around at big events uh, for months on end here. And I, I think I'm, I personally am happy for him. I, I was gutted for him after the PGA. I mean, just, just watching, watching how, how tough he'd played. He seemed like a much more learned golfer. It seemed like he, mm. he knew how to deal with the challenge that came with, you know, playing in a major. He, he had that great quote about wearing out the middle of the green. And, you know, I think, I think when it comes to 
to getting this sort of defining win for him. It wouldn't shock me if this is the first of a few more wins to come after this. It wouldn't shock me if he's in contention at the U.S. Open later this month at, at, at LACC. It wouldn't surprise me if he's in contention at the at the the Open Championship uh, at Royal Liverpool in a month's time. So, I mean, I think it, it, it all speaks to where his game is at. Uh, and I think the big question for him is going to remain, as ever, uh, can he survive with the wedges? Because <laughs> yeah. we saw this on Sunday too. I, I forget what hole he was on, but he had a green side chip and he hit his, you know, it should have gone maybe 10 yards and his chip traveled about three and a half feet <laughs> and then came to rest in the rough. So it's clear that he hasn't fully exercised those demons yet. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of optimism for his game heading into the rest of the golf season. I think it's interesting that you said you wouldn't have been surprised that he won at the PGA or at Augusta because I disagree. <laughs> I really? did not. I did not. Um, when I saw it was him versus Brooks, now I was not following. Uh, I was not at the PGA. I was at a wedding. So I was following the leaderboard more than I was watching the golf tournament. And I know you were there, so you probably have a better idea than me. But I just I saw him versus Brooks, and I saw what Brooks has been doing all year, and I just thought – there's just no chance that Vic has it in him to throw enough punches at Brooks Kepka to 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 knock down, knock out Brooks Kepka. And I was thinking that at Augusta National too, where it's like there's just not enough. There are too many holes for Vic to play a pitch shot from 40 yards into the greens at Augusta National. <laughs> like I don't even know if either of those things truly played out. He happened to not win. John Rahm, at the time, the best player on the planet, won at Augusta. And Brooks Kepka, the best player that week, won at PGA. Yeah. Um, and so I what, I guess what this does for me, because the, the Memorial is like a light version of a major championship in a lot it's of a ways. It's a minor, some would say. Yeah. <laughs> it's a minor, uh, minor championship. And so I guess, yes, I totally expect him to be in contention at LACC, and I think this kind of it, it, like it shouldn't be winning a playoff hole that kind of changes my mind about what Vic can achieve. But you know that like you know how scar tissue builds up with these guys at various moments, and victories like wipe scar tissue away yeah. uh, in a lot of ways. And sometimes they those victories have to come in certain moments, and doing it in a playoff at capital J capital P Jack's place in front of <laughs> front of the 18 time major champion um, on a day in which or a week in which his best round was 69. Like he didn't have like, I think in the past he has taken some of these resort courses deep. He shot in a bunch of 63s. Like this is just grinded out type of golf. That's what's going to happen at the U S open in a couple of weeks. So, so uh, it's certainly it a favorite. It's funny you say this, Sean, because I have the exact same perception of Victor that you currently have or had of him uh, at the PGA heading into Sunday. And I actually, on Sunday morning, I said, I think Brooks is going to pull away here. Uh, but then there was a moment on Sunday that really uh, changed my mind. And maybe this is maybe this is a fool's errand. Maybe this is fool's gold, you know, whatever. It was the second hole. Uh, it was him and Brooks in that final pairing. Brooks is further of the two of them hits his approach shot to maybe five feet. And now Victor standing in the middle of the fairway, 20 yards up on him. I think at that point he was trailing by a stroke and, you know, it was clear that if Brooks got rolling, things, things could get out of control pretty quickly. And if you go back and look, Victor stuck his approach to maybe two feet um, and made the birdie. And that, that was the moment for me when I saw him have that, true pressure moment he's staring down the barrel brooks is you know lumbering around like firing at flags he's coming for him uh when he when he absolutely lasered that approach in i said this might be a slightly different golfer than i've given him credit for and mm -hmm. if you go back and you watch that final round again really the only mistake he made the whole day was that was that absolute blunder on the 17th um or the 16th whichever hole. yeah 16th um, yep that was the that was the only mistake he made all day. Um, was was on that one hole. Otherwise, I thought he threw more than enough punches to hang in. Obviously, Brooks, you know, wound up on top and, and wound up on top by 
a fairly sizable margin. But I think if you go back and watch that, that tournament was much closer than it looked. And I also thought it revealed to me at least a lot about Victor that I that I had previously doubted about his ability to kind of have the cojones to to stick around. <laughs> uh well it, that's the only real shame why we're missing dylan today is because dylan spent a bunch of time with vic lately um victor's uh this could be breaking news but i believe the magazine's coming out soon victor's gonna be on the cover of the july issue of golf magazine and uh dylan breaking. yeah dylan was involved in that so I, I do wish dylan could have been here for the podcast to kind of talk about that uh you know, what he saw in Victor, because I'm sure he sees something different than I did. But either way, Victor wins over Denny McCarthy. Um, Denny McCarthy, pretty emotional afterwards. Not in the tears down, streaming down his face kind of way, but um, for a guy like Denny McCarthy, he is not a world beater like Victor Hovland, uh, like Scotty Scheffler or Spieth or Rory as you go down this leaderboard. We talked about it last week when Emiliano Grigio won the Charles Schwab. And Scotty Scheffler was hanging around that leaderboard. And uh, these guys like Denny McCarthy are going to have, during one of their good years, only a couple chances. Like, he might play this well, gain this many strokes on the field average, like twice this year. And I'm only saying it because I made this point last week, is like, that's why guys like in his position get super emotional. Victor Hovland loses that playoff, man. He's going to be like, all right, we're just still knocking at the door. We're going to win another one soon because we win golf tournaments. He's won four straight years now, Victor Hovland has, on the PGA Tour. Denny McCarthy has not. <laughs> and that's why people like him can end up getting really emotional is because he said, I really thought this was the week. I mean, and he knows it might not come around again. You could you could forgive him for thinking that, too, if you watched on Sunday. I mean, he, he had one bogey the entire day, and it was on the 18th hole, mm. clinging to a one-stroke lead uh, after he blew his drive, like, deep, deep into the into the mess uh, over left of the fairway. Um, yeah, it, it was, uh, it was tough to watch for Denny. He played so tough all day. I honestly, I thought he was going to win the event. I mean, the, the way that he, uh, kind of handled his composure, his, his, I mean, his strength around the greens was unbelievable. It felt like if he could just find one more fairway, he was going to squeak out a one stroke lead and, uh, and, you know, come away with the win. And I mean, God, I, I was gutted for him. I'll, I'll admit it. I, I felt, I felt wow. badly. I mean, he, he, he played so tough all day, especially you come into the day, 22 players within three strokes of the lead to, to start Sunday. And, you know, all of these big names are kind of lurking around. We need to talk about Scott Scheffler in a second, but all, all these guys are kind of lurking around, you know, and anyone can kind of make a step into the mix. And Danny comes out, he makes a couple birdies to start the round, and then he holds that lead all day long on this really tough golf course. I mean, I felt like he had done enough to earn the victory, uh, but unfortunately, I guess the golf gods thought otherwise. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Scheffler because he has now finished in the top 12 15 straight tournaments dating back to uh, through November of 2022. And... Uh, <laughs> He continues to finish – well, he finished uh, T3 this week. But he continues to do this in the most frustrating way. And frustrating for you and me, <laughs> right? But, like, immensely frustrating for him. And uh, you know how <laughs> when Michael Block said, like, gosh, if I could be hitting uh, tee shot, if I could hit wedges from where Rory's tee shots end up, if I could use that stupid length, he said, I'd, you know, I'd be top ten player in the world. And, well, he was wrong about that. The numbers do not support that. However, if Scotty Scheffler had Denny McCarthy hitting his putts, <laughs> he would be maybe the greatest player of all time. And I'm not – that's not even – that actually could be backed up by the numbers. The way Scotty <laughs> is ball striking right now, it is at an insane level that at times could eclipse what Tiger Woods was at. And Denny McCarthy has been long known for the last decade as one of the best putters on the planet he is often finished in the top 10 in strokes gained putting if you literally just had denny mccarthy riding around in a golf cart being like hey thanks scotty thanks for hitting it to 12 feet and then rolling all those putts in i think scotty would be 
he would be doing he would probably be winning like his sixth tournament this season this week and um i don't know like if i got i i dylan and i talked about it last week it's like scotty is trying to mentally turn himself into feeling better about his putting but the results are not there so what drops first his shitty putting or his insane ball striking because there's going to be a resetting i think of both of those things and i just am getting worried that it's going to reset without him like making the most of the ball striking so as you talk about uh who who you know how much scotty could benefit if he added uh, our our good boy Denny McCarthy on the bag. This is Putter. I'm wondering if Zach Johnson is listening to this podcast right now. If that <laughs> might be a thought that he has because alternate shots coming around. And I mean, it was Joel Beal of, of Golf Digest who made this point first. But that's the sort of player that plays well at a European setup uh, in in the Ryder Cup. So I mean, yeah, it's it's obviously preposterous. It's obviously a little bit ridiculous, but I think there might be something to that. I'll, I'll credit Joel for it. Uh, but on Scotty, I mean, this was the most extreme version of Scotty Scheffler I think that we've that we've ever seen so far mm-hmm. this week. I I, I I have the stats in front of me because I, I don't want to I don't want to mess it up. He finished with the second highest strokes gained tee to green in the strokes gained era <laughs> professional golf. What? The only person who had a higher week long strokes gained tee to green was VJ Singh in the 2004 Deutsche Bank Championship. Sick. He finished last in the field in strokes gained putting. Lost eight and a half strokes to the field putting, gained some 17 strokes to the field. Uh, this stat is courtesy of Justin Ray. Of all of the people, 309 people have lost eight or more strokes gained putting in a, in a tournament week in Pete and the in the strokes gained era and 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 yeah. professional golf. I'm going to say that one again. Just this one's courtesy of Justin Ray. <laughs> 309 people have lost eight or more strokes gained putting uh, during a tournament week in professional golf in the strokes gained era. Of yeah, the those last 20 years, basically. Yeah. In those of those 309 players, Scotty is the only one to finish the week under par. <laughs> That's a crazy stat. That is absolutely insane. On Sunday, he missed he missed birdie putts of three feet five inches, seven feet four inches, and twelve feet three inches. He missed the playoff with Victor Hovland and Denny McCarthy by one shot. I mean, this is absolutely insane. We have reached maximum. Full tilt, Scotty Scheffler, which is he is firing at every flag, and somehow he's he's hitting at almost all of them on the toughest setup on the PGA Tour, and he's turning around, and is still still struggling to make those birdie putts. I mean, yeah. he you could tell he was frustrated at the end of the round. He he talked about it. He admitted that you know his his putting has not been where it, where it needs to be, obviously. Um, but I mean, man you got to be thinking that maybe he's going back to square one after this week, because even a below average week putting on the mm-hmm. PGA tour, he escapes this week with a two shot win. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's uh, it, it was a pretty wild thing to watch. I mean, I, I'm not sure we'll ever see stats like that no, <laughs> at, at no, least not, not for a very long time in pro golf. No, this is all great fodder for the, the zonies who are going to end up being like, you know, watching a lot of primetime golf at the next major championship. You know, they're going to be Friday night. They're going to be out at the bar with buddies watching Scotty Scheffler finish his second round at LACC. And they're going to be the wise ones being like, no, this guy is amazing until he gets on the green. Um, I cannot imagine how frustrating it is for him. Um, I cannot imagine him getting paired with anyone but a great putter at the Ryder Cup in Rome. Um, but yeah, I, it's going to come crashing down soon, like his ball striking. Yeah. It's probably unsustainable. Um, that's probably offensive to him, but he's he mentioned it to Amanda Renner on the interview after his round. Basically, like he has he feels like he has still elevated his ball striking within the last few months when his putting has not been good. Uh, I make this joke often. I do wish that we had the capabilities of the men in black like flash 
like little handheld flasher <laughs> thing that wipes wipes people's memory because I think if you did that with Scotty's putting, he would just kind of like revert back to what he was when he entered like the PGA Tour, which was like a pretty average putter, and um, he's come so far with every aspect of his game that it it just must kill him internally. <laughs> he can't get he can't fix this, um, but. <clears throat> What is interesting when you think about his putting, like it will be the reason why people don't bet him, bet on him at LACC at the U.S. Open. Uh, but I would argue that it is also maybe reason to bet on him, because we have seen in the past the U.S. Open can be it can be either this thing which great putters win, or putting is neutralized the greens and the slopes of these uh, of these greens are they're so fast and tricky that it is just an equalizer that no one's going to have an insane putting week and so the best person to bet on is the best driver of the golf ball and the best striker of the golf ball with their irons so uh, basically that is just a a memo to everybody saying don't lose faith in betting on Scotty Scheffler because Vegas is not going to give you any uh, different odds just because the dude can't putt right now. So you and can still grab like an all-time ball striker at the hottest moment in his career right now. And if you are going to lose faith, you're not going to blame this podcast for it. And that's <laughs> that's final. Um, Sean, I, I have to ask, uh, speaking of people we're betting on for the U.S. Open, uh, what are Rory's betting prospects right about now? God, I don't know. Because uh, he feels it felt very important that he got to a 54-hole lead again. Um, Rory has been a weird golfer the last couple months. Uh, a, a, re- a weird version of him, right? Like he's still playing oftentimes a lot of very good golf f- for a typical average tour player, but he's not average in any way. So I'm confused still with Rory because if he shoots 70 today, if he shoots 70, we're not even asking for him to to break 70. If he shoots 70 today, he wins the tournament by one. He and he didn't, and he instead shot three over uh, and really kind of receded from contention rather quickly and became irrelevant in terms of this this tournament. Uh, and so if if that's what you look at, it, he doesn't look close to winning uh, at a grind fest. But if you pay attention to the first three rounds, Rory was a 54-hole leader with a triple bogey on the 18th hole on Thursday. So I am just <laughs> as confused uh, about Rory as kind of I ever have been because I've been critical of him, <laughs> often in a joking way. Um, but like, it, I have a hard time. I'm at the point where I have a hard time betting on him to – to do well in a major but it's like if he finishes t9 with a 69 at lacc on sunday you wouldn't bat your eyes um but if you saw him with a 54 hole lead at lacc you'd probably be a little a little bit surprised i don't know i'm clearly confused about rory so i guess the here's the reason to be optimistic he played really well this weekend for all but 12 holes on sunday um and he was fully, fully clear all week that he did not have his best stuff, as he was at the PGA a couple of weeks ago. And he's talked a lot about how he's kind of on this path back to reaching his peak form. Uh, and, you know, that traditionally in his career has come around the middle of June, middle beginning of July, uh, which is obviously later than he would like to be peaking. But that's the argument in favor of him. And then if you watched him on Sunday, even as he was, you know, blowing his irons all over the place, uh, if you watched him with the driver, he was pounding that club. And for the better portion of the last couple of months, that has been the weakest club in his bag. He has not been able to keep that thing in the face of the earth. He hit a drive today that went 371. uh, And it was like not aided tremendously by either a drop or the wind. Uh, It was a true 371 blast. Um, Yeah, he was swinging that club with a lot more confidence than we've seen from him. So if you're looking for the reason to bet on him, that's why. If you're looking for the reason to bet against Rory, it's, you know, the way he's been swinging his irons for for the last two months. I mean, it it has been just not at all where it needs to be for him. I don't know what's happening with his 
distance control or his, you know, he's, he says he's dealing with getting too open and then he was too closed for a big chunk of Sunday. Uh, you know, he's missing in both directions. He's, he's missing long, he's missing short. Uh, that is something that is concerning to me because I don't ever question Rory's ability to, to hit it close on, you know, (laughs) to really any pin. When he's standing in the fairway, I don't question his ability to do that. But I think maybe that there's some sort of mental block there right now where he just doesn't have the confidence standing over the ball to just go for the center of the green or go for the flag stick. Uh, it, it just it felt like he was gripping the club a little bit too tight today. I think that that's been a little bit of a theme recently when you look at those final round performances. So I think the argument against him is probably a little stronger than the argument in yeah. favor of him right now. <laughs> I mean, obviously, the results say that. Uh, but there, there's more to the argument in favor of him than I think people are, will probably be giving him credit for come two weeks from now when we when we descend upon L.A. I'm just so bored with not bored by you making this argument, but the the pro argument is like, oh, yeah, he's hitting this driver really good right now. It's like, yeah, that's the guy we know. That is who Rory is. And that is the guy who has not won a major in nine years. <laughs> and so I am so bored um, by anybody who thinks that that uh, is is like – the crux of the Rory dilemma. Definitely. Um, And I I would like to be clear. I'm not, I am not saying that that (laughs) is the crux of it. I'm just saying if he can't keep the driver on the face of the earth, he doesn't stand a a chance at any of these events. And that was, that was a big struggle for him heading into heading into. uh, Yeah, it is his cheat code in a way. And so it is great. Like his golf is going to be great when he hits that club. Great. Um, In the same way that, like when Spieth putts really well, like that's his cheat code at times, yeah. or you could say the same for Jason day. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I got, if you bet on Rory to actually win a major right now, like, I'm sorry. It's just not, <laughs> it's not, it's just not going to happen right now. And I, I honestly, whenever I make jokes, uh, about him or, uh, <laughs> retirement jokes that I've made in the past, like, I think it's always made with like, a desire that I want to see him win again. It's always like, come on, dude. Like, like <laughs> it's not that Rory needs to retire. It's that I'm retiring my hope for him. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm setting aside my, uh, my hope that he actually will do it because you get let down in a way. Um, and so, you know, call me crazy when he has a 54 hole lead again, either here at LACC or at Royal Liverpool, which is probably where it, it will yeah, happen. It's Liverpool uh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, yeah, it, it's hard to find like the definitive nature of his game right now. Um, w- when guys like Rom win the Masters, guys like Scheffler finish in the top 12 15 straight tournaments even guys like victor hovland who played in the final pairing with rory at st andrews and no one thought that victor was going to be able to hang with rory at that course for four straight days and he didn't he actually backed down on sunday so like victor victor is not in rory's ecosystem uh his layer atop the game um but right now he kind of is and so uh of all people rory's going to be someone that's aware of that so the big question now is, uh, would Rory be capable of of finding himself on a live roster at this point? <laughs> or would they be too tired of his BS, as Phil Mickelson claimed? Uh, oh, God, I'm to, so glad you, know, you brought to that Adam, up. To Adam here. Uh, do you think Rory gets a spot? I mean, we know he's struggling, but can, but can, he, can he earn a spot onto a live roster? So I'm glad you brought this up Um, and to clue in the people on our listenership who (laughs) don't follow Phil Mickelson on Twitter, but have been following this show. I feel like we talk about it every freaking week. Phil continues to air his grievances on Twitter.com and that's fine. Bless your soul (laughs) if you don't follow Phil on Twitter. I mean, really bless your soul. (laughs) That's fine if, uh, if Phil wants to, to, get his thoughts out that way. It's weird. It's weird that he does that. And then when there's a microphone in front of him all week at 
at various tournaments, specifically majors, he decides to not air any grievances there. Um, but anyway, that's where he feels most free, and so he has taken it upon himself to clap back at Eamon Lynch in specific and uh, Brandel Chambly. But what was weird is what he said to Rory, which you teased, is he didn't say it to Rory, but it was a complete drive-by of Rory. And Phil is now like... He's been saying things that are always pro-live, but basically <laughs> Rory was talking after his third round, after achieving a 54-hole lead about just kind of the emotions wearing on him from last year at St. Andrews and through the fall and into this year and the Masters and everything, um, that he's, he, he sounds worn out, uh, not necessarily right now, but he needed a break to recover from being worn out. And so Phil tweets... Uh, in response to someone who posted the video of Rory's response. And the tweet goes, as worn out as McElroy was after the Masters and his need for an offseason, Liv would be perfect for him. Problem is, I don't think there's a team that wants him on it because they'd have to deal with all his BS. Now, <laughs> literally every single team would would pay like that like Rory is buying price is the biggest in the entire world short of Tiger Woods. <laughs> if 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 Phil Mickelson's getting two hundred million dollars to go play for Live, the buying price for Rory would be nothing short of five hundred million. And uh, <laughs> at this point, maybe even greater. Uh, but anyway, Phil is referencing just all the little quips that have kind of gone back and forth between Live players and, and Rory and PJ Tour stands. And it's just such a ridiculous argument um, <laughs> that you can't take it seriously. And yet Phil wants to repeatedly be taken super seriously in his Twitter actions. So uh, I found it funny. I can't wait till someone asks Rory about it. Um, but Rory is, again, probably going to take the higher road because he's done that most of the way here. Um, but are you like, uh, where are you annoyed with Phil at this point? Are you entertained by it? What's, what's your attention level in terms of Phil Mickelson on Twitter? Well, I mean, a $500 million buying price is assuming that they could find a roster spot for him <laughs> over the likes of James Pyatt, Danny Lee. Um, hey, Danny Lee won this year. He did win this year and like very impressively, but at the same time, he's not, he's no Rory McIlroy. And I can't believe no. that's a point that needs to be made. But, um, but I mean, clearly, 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 Phil is saying these things to be provocative. He's saying these things to to draw the attention of of you know golf world and the Twitter world and the media world. And to that degree, I guess he's successful because we're continuing <laughs> to talk about it here. Um, and I, I I would like to say that I'm not particularly a fan of that. Uh, but the thing that I will say on this is, I'm kind of confused as to what the benefit is of anyone even talking about this in the first place. Um, you know, some of the, some of the provocative live things that have wound up on social media, I sort of understood, okay, there's an end game here that, you know, maybe a couple more people know about uh, smash GC after seeing this, you know, whole, you know, workout video they did or you know maybe people know a little bit more about like the live roster based off of the failures of the graphics team uh, so it's like there are things there are things where it's like okay i could understand a world in which that is maybe helpful in some way but this stuff just seems to be so undermining uh you know i keep hearing all these different things from people from these bot accounts on social media about you know we want peace in golf, but also live is the better product and all this stuff. <laughs> and I'm, I'm kind of curious to know how, what Phil is doing is promoting peace or live as, as a better product in golf. Um, cause mm -hmm. I, as far as I see it, he's, he's not really doing either. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, while he might be scoring some personal points by, you know, blasting a few people and getting, you know, some more Twitter followers or whatever. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't see the benefit to it. And I also find it incredibly strange that it's so inconsistent with his behavior kind of everywhere else. It just, it strikes me like he's, he's come upon this weird war path that this is the way he's going to win the public relations battle. And uh, I mean, 
I don't know who has to be the person to tell you this, bud, but like Twitter is not the place to win a public relations <laughs> battle with literally anyone. Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting. You know that famous image uh, of Dwayne Wade alley-ooping to LeBron James? This is against <laughs> my Milwaukee Bucks, and I believe Luke Richard Mba Amute. That image is kind of a meme, and I was just thinking of it as you were as you were talking. All of Phil's replies and responses on Twitter that are becoming so provocative um, because he and Brandel have blocked each other. All these replies are to live oriented accounts. They are the Dwayne Wade to Phil's LeBron James. They are throwing things to him and he's taking them and trying to Twitter dunk on people. And um, I think if I can be as unbiased as possible, I do think it's working a little bit. His following is growing uh, slowly, but it is growing like more than it was in the past year. And uh, I do think if you ask Phil, he doesn't see growth from any of his in-person appearances at major championships in front of the microphone. And he is trying to be patient or, you know, uh, to seem patient with whatever the department of justice investigation into the anti-competitive nature of pro golf. Uh, at this point he's trying to be patient, but he cannot help himself. He ended up explaining to people in replies this week that he's nearly a billionaire and he ended up bickering back and forth <laughs> with non live people about whether or not he is considered a gambler because he caps his 18 hole matches at $1,000 a piece. Uh, he, basically confirmed that he was at one point in $40 million worth of gambling debt, uh, or he has lost, he has had $40 million worth of gambling losses. Uh, and so now his net worth as he typed into a tweet and then deleted is about $760 million. And so it's just more than anything, hopefully for the last time this month on this podcast, it is just sad that that is where, one of the game's greatest players has gotten to, to kind of yelling scoreboard and saying, yeah, but I got all this money and, you know, trying to really deflect against criticism and, and use these alley-oops from extremely biased accounts to Twitter dunk on people and do drive-bys. Like at this point, you know, the Mad Men uh, gif or meme of like, of Don Draper entering the elevator and saying, I don't even think about you, but I think Rory's at that point with Phil. I think that that's why Rory wants to back away from talking about live in press conferences because he was constantly getting asked about it. And now he just doesn't even really care about Phil. I don't think he gives too much because he's kind of helped the PGA tour push itself forward. Um, it's not as much of a debate anymore. We've, uh, we've gone almost the full, uh, you know, 360 degree run with a Twitter account. We are just still tweeting that he was hacked after posting some sort of uh, controversial thing away because we've already had him tweeting the controversial thing. We've had him then, you know, standing by it and saying, I don't care what anyone says about it. Then we've had what he did today with Rory, which was to say it was a joke all along. You people take all of this too seriously. You don't get it. All we need is just a, I was hacked. That wasn't me. That wasn't my account. Just to keep it, just to fully, you know, complete, complete the circle there. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're fully right. It, it is, it is a sad thing to kind of see this playing out the way that it is. I would be kind of fascinated to know, you know, speak to some social scientists or something to figure out like, what is the nature of, of this like weird dunk tendency on Twitter, which feels like it's gotten so much more amplified, not only involving Phil, but mm -hmm. definitely involving Phil is, you know, it, it feels like there's this urge to constantly do that on social media. And I've certainly been guilty of it. I know plenty of people have been, but I, I think when you look at the, when you look at the Phil thing and everything that's been going on with that over the last however many months, I, I think you see this weird desire to like win the narrative on Twitter. And that it just feels like the most short sighted, like just completely asinine approach to trying to like benefit golf or yourself or 
like literally anything. Like I, I don't see how there's any gain to be to be gotten out of that. So that that's the thing that I that I'm like most interested and most perplexed by is I, I just don't get what is leading all of this what's causing all of this uh yeah and i don't think we're gonna get to the bottom of that anytime soon no i don't think so um but there are there are these little weird moments where you understand more of the public uh rating on things um perception on things and it it's when brooks kepka wins the pga and people are either happy or sad or unbothered. Um, it's when yeah. Liv uh, decides or decides to not report the ratings of its broadcasts. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, like, to, to continue to use Brooks' example, when he wins, is like when Rory wins his next major, the, the applause around that green is going to be absolutely bonkers. And when Brooks won his most recent major, the reception around that green was I think decidedly a little bit less bonkers than it maybe could have been or would have been for other winners. And, um, is that the price that has been paid by joining live golf? I don't know. Uh, it feels as uh, much of a correlation as I'm comfortable making, but yeah, it is. Twitter seems to be the place where the dunking and the gotcha, uh, lines exist right now because it's a place that measures things, retweets, quote tweets, views likes etc and following and like i said phil's following is growing um and he's not paying for twitter blue either so i mean (laughs) there's something to be said for that along the way he's hanging on that net worth is growing by nine dollars a month so that's (laughs) just something to keep in mind uh i think that's a pretty good way to end this james uh as you can see in my background the sun has gone down here in chicago uh, but thank you for filling in for Dylan. Do you have any final thoughts before you go on what it was like sh- stepping into Dylan's shoes? Um, I will say, you know, I wear size 13s and, <laughs> and you know, I felt I felt pretty comfortable in, the, in this position, although I know that I'll never match the uh, the level of golf intellect that that your co-host normally brings here. I tried to yeah, or the Rory sympathizing. I tried to make up for it and, you know, goofball antics and uh, and memes. So I, I hope I hope I handled that as best I could. Oh, you did. Uh, thank you, James. Thank you to anyone who's still listening at 67 minutes in here. An hour flies by when you're having fun. But we will see you next week uh, previewing the U.S. Open in about seven days from now. See you then.